Okay, welcome to uh, episode 41 Pushing Rubber podcast. My name is Adam Piggott, coming to you from sunny Melbourne here in Australia. Melbourne, the crime capital of Australia, thanks to all of our cultural culture and riches uh, who have uh, chosen to join us in this fair city. Um, this morning, of course, the news of a uh, culture and richer attack in London. Um, the politicians in Australia have been quick to reassure all Australians that Parliament House in Canberra is sufficiently protected by armed guards. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice of, uh, of Australian politicians um, to be able to have guns to defend them? Uh, while we, of course, in Australia have to fend for ourselves, since uh, most of us can now not legally own firearms. So one rule for our rulers, and one rule for us plebs. The cloud people have it one way, and the dirt people another. Um, of course, in London, major problems there in the city as they slowly come to terms with the fact that multiculturalism has been a complete disaster. It doesn't work. It was always a lie. There is no such thing as multiculturalism. There's just a thing as the immigrants waiting out until they've got the power and then they'll take it. And it happens every single time. Every single time. Um, in history as well. But, you know, people in history have got a... Rereading some stuff about the history of Venice, the Venetian Empire, and how Venice had a large um, conclave of uh, merchants from, the, from Venice living in Constantinople, which is present-day Istanbul. This is about the 14th century. My memory serves me correct. And... The Turks woke up one day and didn't like this um, bunch of very wealthy Venetian merchant class living in their midst and uh, overnight imprisoned them all, confiscated all of their goods and, uh, and um, possessions and land, threw a lot of them in prison, families, all, all of them. Where did this reach? Venice and the Doge, which is the leader of Venice, um, went out, well, basically, without getting into all the history, fought a big bloody war and took Constantinople from them um, by hijacking the last crusade. And now we have the Dutch election just done and Turkey now threatening Holland and Europe with a uh, invasion of Muslims through babies, they literally say it themselves now. They, they can, uh, they can open. Muslims can now. The Islamists can openly now say this sort of stuff because Western society and the left are in such complete denial uh, about these realities. It's all. It's a completely masochistic, self-destructive path. Um. So what we have to do is we have to deal with the enemies without, which are Muslims, and the enemies within, which are our quizzling, leftoid, progressive, 
idiots. And we see that now. Um, there's an announcement how a policeman in London announced that immediately that they're worried about any backlash on Muslim communities. I mean, give me a fucking break. Give me a fucking break. Anyway, today uh, I wrote a post, which oh, it's not a very long post. Um, it's only about 700 words or so. But it's a post that I have been working on in my head for quite some time. Uh, months. Months and months and months and months. I've been thinking about this post. And I didn't get all everything in there that I wanted to do. It's probably going to take a few posts for me to get all of this stuff out that I'm thinking about. But I, I wanted it to be coherent and bite-sized snippets. Because people tend to have a um, a limit to what their attention span can handle on a um, on a blog, you have to keep it to around a thousand words, unless unless it's something particularly enthralling, uh, like you know, hot chicks from Poland or something like that. Uh, so the title of the post is uh, "You can't, you don't go back to church because you you believe in God." And the essence of the post is the fact that the church, Islam is gaining ground in the West, not because Islam is strong, but the West is weak. And the West is weak in a spiritual sense, which then, of course, opens the ground for another spiritual um, ideology to fill the gap. And that, of course, is the fact that the West in the last four decades has turned away from the church. Spirituality. We, we become of the opinion that we are um, too evolved is the position, I think, that most Westerners have on this subject. We don't go to church because we don't need church. Church is irrelevant to our lives because we are so modern and advanced. In my own background on this, uh, I was brought up in a Catholic family. I went to a Christian brother's school. I went to Bible school. We went to church every week. And then my parents got divorced when I was about 13. But we stopped going to church a couple of years before that. just stopped suddenly. One weekend we were going and the next weekend we didn't go. And nothing was said about it. And it was to do with the fact that my mother was going to university. And this is in the late 70s, early 80s. And this was when universities were just being taken over by the progressive left. And they, she was a young woman. She was, you know, in her late 20s. And she was easily, she was highly intelligent but very naive. So she was easily um, brainwashed um, by the left-wing professors there. Professors there in the University of Western Australia at the time. Um, and it killed my parents' marriage, and it sent my mother insane because she became, you know... I mean, it was... it was I'd say we had a fairly normal childhood and then up to a certain point suddenly it was the patriarchy this and the patriarchy that and the patriarchy the other that came out of her mouth. And, I mean, just a complete flip, one of flip. She went from believing in God to believing in progressivism and feminism and all the other isms that you can stick uh, on the end of a noun. And 
And so I stopped going to church when I was about 12. Never went back. Um, I then, of course, lived in Italy um, for 10 years, which is... You'd think it was, Italy would be a religious place, but in Italy, the only people who tend to go to the church are... Uh, you, your attendance in church t- tends to go up as you, let's say... Um, get close to sticking one foot in the grave in Italy. So the average age of a church-going congregation would be around, you know, 65 or 70 or something like that in the little mountain village where I was living. And that's the thing, I was living in a little mountain village. I wasn't... Or valley, mountain valley, with a bunch of villages, and all of them had their own churches, but uh, the young people definitely weren't going to them that I could see on a Sunday. Though they still got involved in all of the religious processions and holidays and that sort of thing um, quite a lot. But I ended at a point in my life where I described myself as an anti-theist. I wasn't just an atheist. I was against the church. I suppose I was like this in my early 30s. And this is important, you know, because, you know, we all go through patterns in life. We all go through different stages and what I believe now is, is not even close to what I believed 10 or 15 years ago. But I, I have to be honest with you, I, I, don't believe, I still don't believe in God. I, I'd still have to consider myself as an atheist. But I have come around to the understanding and awareness of the importance of the church and Christianity, Christianity Catholicism in Western civilization of the last 2000 years. And the three pil- pillars of Western civilization are the church, the Greco-Roman heritage, and Western canon law, the legal system, democracy. Those are, those are our three pillars. It's like a, a three-legged stool, and you can't hack one of the legs away, half away, and expect the thing to be standing up. I'm also, and I refer to in this article I wrote today, and I'll link it in the notes. Well, I don't need to link it in the notes. You need to go to my blog. Um, And I talk about Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens' book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, which was released 10 years ago, 2007. Um... And I, I was a big fan of this book. I read it a number of times. I watched as many of his debates on YouTube as I could get my hands on. And Hitchens was a brilliant orator and debater. There's no doubt about that. And he would kill his opponents. But I look at it now and I realise that his opponents were fighting on his terms. But a lot of what Hitch, a lot of the assumptions that Hitchens had actually don't make any sense at all. Like, I consider myself, I'm a, I have a lot of morals. I consider myself to be a good person, an empathetic person. I uh, am considerate of other people. I'm very restrained um, in how I behave. But I have to put a lot of that down to the Catholic Church because I am a product of my upbringing, and my upbringing was, in a large part, within the church. 
both as in the church, as in going to church on a weekly basis, going to a Catholic school, but also uh, as a civilization as a whole in which I grew up in. It's, it's, it started to become... I started to have doubts about this stuff when I lived in Uganda. And I saw how the average Ugandan behaved. I mean, just things like um, a thief, someone calling out thief in a crowded market, a thief running through the market, and a crowd jumping on him and beating him to death on the spot. And the police, whenever they were trying to get into this situation, were just trying to get there fast enough to save the thief from being beaten to death. The thing about the, the crowd, that all the people in the market would suddenly turn and and they would go from just buying their their groceries for the week, whatever they were doing there, shopping, to kicking the shit out of someone until they were dead. And I saw this once, and I heard about it a bunch of times. And... What I saw the one time I saw it, and what anyone else who saw it described, with the same, the same thing stuck in, in everyone's heads that witnessed this, was that the, the, the look of ecstasy on the faces of the people who were killing the thief by kicking and beating him to death. It was almost like religious ecstasy in a way. Very animalistic. And... You might be thinking that I'm talking about a bunch of guys kicking to death, but the one I saw, the women outnumbered the men, and there were kids in there doing it. We're talking like eight, nine, ten-year-old, all having a shot. And there was a there was a situation once where uh, it was at the Awino Markets in Kampala, in the capital of Uganda, and I wasn't there, but we we read about it in the paper the next day. Because there was a thief, someone caught him, but the two police got there first and managed to grab the thief. And the crowd was so enraged at being cheated of their uh, sport that they attacked the two policemen on the spot. And the two policemen were forced to defend themselves and only had one thing to do, and that was to start shooting with their AK-47s, which they did. And they killed like a dozen people. And that's how many people I had to kill to get out of there with the thief intact. That's one lucky thief, I can tell you. And the next day, the uh, Kampala New Vision newspaper ran this big thing about, you know, how the police were diabolical and blah, 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 blah. And they had photos of all the victims that had been shot, or casualties, I can't really call them victims, the casualties that had been shot. And underneath each of the captions was the name, age, and occupation. And we got hold of this newspaper that morning and we were reading it on the way to the river, the river guides. We were, we were just... We were laughing, but it wasn't laughing as in mirth. It was laughing as in at just the outrageousness of the whole thing. So we're talking like professions. Uh, all the photos were like respectable as hell. Passport shots. We're talking doctors, lawyers. There was a university professor, if my memory served me correctly. Um... There were, there were uh, uh, housewives in there. There was a nurse. Um, these were the people that were 
kicking or tried to kill two policemen with their bare hands in the middle of the day because in the middle of downtown Kampala because the police had stopped them from killing a thief with their bare hands. You have to remember is that Uganda was discovered by Speak, English explorer Speak, in the 1880s, I think it was. What I do know is that the year that Speak discovered Uganda and introduced the tribes in Uganda, there's about 70 tribes in Uganda to the outside world, he had to introduce them to the wheel because they didn't have that. In the same year that Speak introduced them to the wheel, the first underground train station in London opened, in the London Underground. Give you an idea of the, the, the depth that set these civilizations apart. In 1880s, well, I was born in 1970, in the early 1970s, so, that wasn't even a hundred years before I was born. To say that you're growing up in a Western side of the Christian, the church, Catholicism has nothing to do with your your morality as a human being is absurd. But that's what Christopher Hitchens tried to claim. Christopher Hitchens tried to claim in his court tenant of his of his book was that he didn't need a spiritual man in the sky make up man in the clouds to guide him on how to behave because he already knew how to behave but he already knew how to behave because he'd been brought up in that environment now let's take it one step further let's assume that Hitchens was right for the sake of argument let's assume that actually he was that unique person that could have grown up in Uganda and been surrounded by people who would kick thieves to death in a market at the drop of a hat and Hitchens would have had the same morality that he had growing up in uh, in England in the 1950s the second mistake and the assumption that Hitchens made was that how he was Everyone is. He projected his own uh, abilities onto everyone around him. His assumption was that the church was not needed because Hitchens was intrinsically good. And since Hitchens was intrinsically good, that must mean that everyone else is intrinsically good as well. There's no, there's no need for the church. Well, the truth is, fa- is completely far from that. It's a completely false assumption. It's a complete projection to do this on on Hitchens' part. And we see that humanity has a great need for spiritual salvation. We see that all the way through history. And look what's happened since people have stopped going to church. Look at some of the crazy things they believe in. How about the great god Gaia of climate change, for instance? I mean... Never. I mean, the, the depth of public delusion on climate change is incredible to behold. Or the depth of public delusion on, on Islam. Look, 
people want to believe that Islam is a religion of peace as opposed to pieces and that you know it's just a few lone wolf attackers are the problem here they want to believe this because they want to believe that Muslims are just like them that they're rational and logical and blah 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 but they're not as I wrote atheists need to go back to church you're not going to church because you believe in God you don't as an atheist go to church because you want to try and discover a belief in God you go to church because you believe in your civilization and your culture and you understand that the church is one of the three pillars of our civilization has to be not just intact but supported And we have a problem with Islam now because we have left the church. Islam is just filling the gap. And as I wrote, you know, if you were God and you saw everyone, you know, people turn away from, from the church en masse in the 60s, 70s and 80s, how would you get them back? What would be the best way to get them back? And the best way to get them back is a, is a crisis of the sort that Islam is now giving us. Perfect way to get people back. As I wrote, until we return to the church, then everyone is complicit in the invasion of Islam because you can't be secular and simultaneously complain about the inroads that Islam makes into all our aspects of our life. And Islam will become our way of life unless we wake up and rediscover our faith. And the faith is not in God. The faith is in the institution. And the understanding that men need moral guidance and virtue in their lives. And just because you listening to this as individuals don't require this is even more of a reason for you to go to church. Because you then set an example to those that do. How can we expect those that do require this moral guidance to go? If those that don't go refuse to go. Because there are many people, I'm sure, who believe that they have no need for moral guidance, who in actual fact do. And I'd put just about the whole of progressive leftism in that basket. basket. And these are specifically the mass of people who believe that they are above it. It's no coincidence that one of the major attacks of the left is the church. Here in Australia, we, there has been an ongoing Royal Commission into the abuse of homosexuals, homosexual priests by children, case after case after case after case. Yet simultaneously, the same people are pushing hard for gay marriage and for gays to be able to have IVF treatments and have children, adopt children, young boys. Gay men get married, adopt young boys. They've recently enacted in the Boy Scouts that gay men can be camp counsellors and go away in the camps with young boys. The, the two 
together don't make any logical sense. Because if you were truly worried about young boys, as in the reason why you were prosecuting all these old priests from the church, then why would you simultaneously be encouraging same-sex marriage and the Boy Scouts Brigade to have their gay counsellors, etc., etc., etc. But the, the target is not homosexuals. The target is the church. That's what you have to understand. Because what has is, what is committed the evil here? The homosexuals or the church? Now, the progressive leftist cultural marxists scream the church. It's the homosexuals who committed it. Yes, the church made mistakes, covered it up, went the short-term gain, long-term pain route. Not a good route to go, very unwise. Priests are supposed to be wise. That's generally their attributes and traits whenever I play a Dungeons & Dragons game. And they copped out on the wisdom on this particular one. There was a uh, there was that ridiculous. I didn't watch it, but there was that. I saw it advertised a ridiculous gay ABC movie uh, broadcast in Australia last week. When we rise, you might have heard about it. Uh, Aaron Clary devoted a bit of coverage of taking the piss out of this um, gay drama about gays suffering. Let's let's just make it clear. Okay. There's nothing brave about being homosexual today. There might have been something brave about being homosexual 50 years ago, but there is absolutely nothing brave about being a faggot today. Nothing. And we see that in the persecution by the same-sex, what they call them, the Waffen Same-Sex Marriage, Waffen SSM Brigade, that Bill Leaked dubbed them, who will go after anyone publicly who espouses any support for the church. So there was an article by Miranda Devine in the, in the Daily Te- Telegraph today. Um, and she's going through how all of these, all of these uh, businesses and employers, including public service departments, going on about their public support um, for the same-sex marriage campaign... Um, but these organisations and businesses have Christian employees as well. Um, we've got a quote here. Christian employees of organisations which have signed up to the same-sex marriage campaign now feel frightened and intimidated at work. Some have anonymously contacted the Australian uh, ACL and Marriage Alliance and the few journalists they feel might take their concerns seriously. One Telstra employee says, even though I declined to attend the Wear at Purple Day meeting, I've since been resent the meeting invite by an executive director to six times. The meeting invite says staff are required, not optional attendees. One former Qantas pilot says, what caused me to resign is the company's active campaigning for the redefinition of marriage. There was a cultural pressure to conform from the internal media and company culture. We'd be sitting in our cockpit and receive an email expecting something operational, only to find it was another email about the LGBTIQ agenda. We were bombarded with this stuff. We got at times four emails a week about it. I knew I had to go because I didn't belong there. People are so afraid of being shouted down as a bigot. Interesting. There's a bunch of stuff there about all this. Um, Rainbow bullies, the rainbow Nazis, how they're called. 
and they don't just want to get their their gay marriage proposition through Parliament. And by the way, uh, according to Devine, there have been at least 18 failed attempts to push same-sex marriage through Parliament since 2004 in Australia. 18 debates on it. Just keep pushing until you get what you want. We're not getting the vote we want. Keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And now vilify anyone who stands up publicly uh, and says they're against same-sex marriage. The only reason I don't get vilified is because they know that I have nothing to lose. They can't get me on anything. There's nothing. So there's nothing brave about being homosexual today. If you want to be brave about something, well, you want to be brave about something, go back to the church. Be a Christian or Catholic or a Protestant. Well, that's brave in today's uh, society. Uh, like we've already found out, also found out this week that the Australian Labor Party, uh, while the Liberals are trying to constrain the 18C freedom of speech or racial hatred law and tweak it slightly. Labor, which has been discovered this week, wants to go in the opposite direction. Um, reading from the Australian here, Labor is considering a, a secret plan, or not so secret now, uh, and this is March 23rd, to extend the reach of litigation based on Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act to include people claiming they have been offended or insulted because of their sexual orientation, disabilities or age. This won't be used to attack someone because they call someone a faggot. This will be used to attack someone um, because they oppose same-sex marriage as just one example of the way it will go. 18C was signed into law in 1994, if I remember correctly. And it should never have been signed into law in the first place because now we're starting to reach what the left deride always, but it is the slippery slope. I feel Australia is too far gone on this because our leadership is so weak on these issues. And I've been talking to quite a few people about this. People have been asking me, why are you moving to Europe, Adam? Why are you moving to Europe? Look what's happening in Europe. It's going to go down the plug hole. Well, the same things that are happening in Europe are happening in Australia. But I think Europe will come through okay. I don't think Australia and by default the USA are going to come through all that well at all. And the reason that Europe is going to come through okay is because it does have that each country, and let's take Holland for example, it's just as one example of all the countries in Europe, Holland has its underlying Dutch culture, which is very, 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 very strong. And it's a Protestant culture as well. It can return to that. Uh, the Muslim invaders will push too far and there will be a pushback. And when the pushback happens, it'll be pretty brutal. Think Indonesia 1965, when the Chinese communists were pushed just that little bit too hard. And not only did the Chinese communists all get wiped out, but just about every Chinese merchant in the country did as well. Okay. Uh, that was that Mel Gibson film, The Year of Living Dangerously, sort of based on. Uh, 
But Australia, for the past 40 years, has pushed really hard as a multicultural society. And we had a small population in a vast area to begin with. Small population, vast area, very short history. Now, I know it's a British history, but our Australian history is actually very, very short. We don't have that depth of culture to withstand this stuff. And multiculturalism is being is now fracturing along all of these different ethnic lines that have nothing in common with each other. Absolutely nothing at all. And because we don't have that strong underlying culture to go back to, I think that's why Australia and also America are actually in a bit more trouble. Europe have also proven that they're very good at getting rid of people they don't like over the centuries. Very, very, very good indeed. And Europeans are also much more self-reliant. I saw that in Italy. Uh, the Italians were going about, you know, the social um, welfare aspect and all the rest of it, but they are very family orientated. They are able to take care of themselves much better. And they are a lot more diversified. Like if you look at European countries that I spent time in, like Italy and Holland, uh, lots of little... Lots of little towns and spread out all across the map, all interconnected. But each town's self-sufficient and self-reliant in many, many ways. Whereas Australia is the opposite. I mean, Australia has f- six or seven huge cities perched on the coast. Uh, and when we talk huge cities, I mean, it's not just huge in, in pop, it's not huge in population, though, as a percentage of the Australian population, absolutely enormous. But also in the actual geographic uh, size. I mean, Perth, where I come from, for a city of... of uh, I'm not sure how many people are in Perth now. Is it 2 million? Its metropolitan area... From north to south, what's considered Perth is over 100 kilometres. And from east to west, I think it's about 40. I mean, this is absolutely enormous. You plonk that area down in in Italy and you'll have at least two large cities, a bunch of smaller towns and several dozen tiny little towns and villages in that area. And this is what Australia's like. And Australians are not used to hardships anymore. And they're just used to all their food turning up in these gigantic cities on the coast. Which, by the way, is all reliant on diesel fuel in Australia. But we've, we've shut down. We've made uh, uncompetitive all of our refineries. There's only one refinery still operating, and that's going to shut down soon. We get all of our diesel from Singapore. Australia has on average 10, 10 to 14 days worth of diesel fuel in the country. Well, what happens if the diesel fuel stops coming in from Singapore for whatever reason? And there could be plenty of reasons. And don't just worry about the food getting from the country into the cities, which isn't going to happen. The food won't even be harvested. At the moment, diesel storage tanks for farms are rocketing up in price, second-hand ones. These big, big diesel storage tanks. Because farmers know. Well, all these refineries shutting down. 
very, 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 very strategically inept and vulnerable is the entire Australian system. People ask me why I'm moving to Europe. I think Europe's got... Well, I'm moving to Europe because my wife wants to go back to her home. And fair enough, she's a lot of family back there. She's a lot closer to her family than I am to mine. I spent years living away from my family. Um, But she wants to go back to Europe, but I'm not adverse to the idea at all. Because I think Australia's going to have a really, really, really tough time with this shit. There's no, there's no other way to describe it. Very, very, very tough time indeed. So there we go. So just to recap, peace today. You're probably asking yourself, well, Adam, if this is all atheists need to go back to church, does this mean that you're going to be going back to church? And the answer to that has to be yes. I can't be a hypocrite in these matters. Do I believe in God? No. I suppose it would be a good way to learn Dutch if I sit there and I can't sta- understand a word that the priest is saying. I'll need to learn Dutch so I can get annoyed at him. That's just how I am. So it'll be good impetus for me. Um, put your spiritual money where your mouth is. That's what I say. Shoutouts. Aaron Clary. Uh, sponsors the podcast, Captain Capitalism. Uh, he has his blog over at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Run, speaks about all things um, economics grounded in realism. Um, had a good po- really in-depth post with lots of graphs and stuff up today about uh, housing in the US market. Very interesting stuff. Um and he also has a consultancy business called Arsal Consulting where he will answer your questions truthfully and charge you a small amount of money for doing so. I used his services a couple of years ago when Bianca and I were thinking of buying a house in Melbourne and Cappy said, probably not a great idea and I'm glad we listened to him. So go check him out. This has been... Podcast number 41, the Pushing Rapper podcast. If you like what you listen to, share it around. Follow me on uh, SoundCloud. Follow me on Gab. You can subscribe to my blog where I write an article every day. Um, And there we go. Have a think about what I just spoke about because it's important stuff. It's very important stuff. Toodaloo.